0: Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger.
1: And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them.
0: Today's adventure takes us for the very first time on Adventures in Venue Land over to the UK. We're going to check in with Brian Kabatsnik. Now, he's worked in the U.S. and international entertainment business sector as a senior executive for the world's leading companies. And uh, since 2019, Brian has overseen uh, Oakview Group's sports and entertainment venue development efforts throughout all international markets. Uh, So
2: uh, in London today, right, Brian? Yes, it's actually a bank holiday. So we're fortunate in the UK where there's three bank holidays this month, the first Monday of May and the last Monday of May always. And then, of course, we've got the King's Coronation, which is the first time in 70 years. So that's next Monday as well. So the Brits are pretty excited that three bank (laughs) holidays out, out out of four weekends. I don't even know what a bank holiday is. It's just it's just a holiday, except they call it a bank holiday. <laughs> okay,
0: a I bank like that. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you for uh, making the uh, a time change, uh, jump for us here to uh, to record today. Uh, you know, you're the big title, executive vice president, business development, facilities, Oakview Group International. That's that's a lot of words, but
2: what do they mean? So, I oversee all of our venue development outside of North America. And what's interesting is, is that when Tim Laiwiki and Irving Azoff, when they created this company back in 2015, you know, Tim had the vision of creating a venue development company, you know, one that would permeate throughout our entire heritage as a company. So certainly, as you well know, our, our first venues were, you know, we just opened seven venues in the last 18 months. Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, and UBS Arena in New York, and Moody Center in Austin, uh, AccraSure Arena in in Coachella Valley, et cetera. And so that takes a team to, A, develop, design, develop, you know, oversee the construction process, and then that transitions into an operating company. So, I, I've been fortunate having worked for AEG underneath Tim for a dozen years, heading up its European venue development, to come on board with Oakview Group and look at interesting projects, either buying existing arenas, uh, building new arenas, or providing a, a wealth of depth and breadth of consulting services for venues around the world. So it's exciting for me, Um, you know, having previously worked at Ticketmaster International, Ticketmaster in general, uh, both in the U.S. uh, and abroad, overseeing their offices and the AEG Europe experience. So it was easy for me to transition uh, into Oakview Group as a developer, you know, especially as AEG, you know, limited its development after the opening of the O2 in London and the then O2 World, Berlin, which is now Mercedes-Benz Arena, and, and knowing Tim and Irving's focus on developing in some of the world's great markets, it was a good transition for me.
1: Well, we've all seen how fast Oakview Group has grown here in the States. And and like you mentioned, too, their involvement in venues sometimes is you know booking, and sometimes it's management of the entire facility. What are, I guess, some of the projects that you all are working on over in Europe or overseas elsewhere that you think you're seeing kind of, uh, you know, gain some steam or, you know, things that we can be looking for that have been announced?
2: So, you know, our first development project internationally is Co-op Live, uh, which is located in Manchester, England. It's 23,500 capacity, um, be the largest capacity in Europe, a big standing floor. And and as you saw from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, we're transitioning many of those similar sustainability options as Europe's most sustainable building and and really meeting the city of Manchester's target to be incredibly sustainable. So that opens uh, early next year. uh, Is it an arena or a stadium? uh, It's an uh, indoor arena. Indoor with 23.5 capacity. Yep. Uh, And that's that's on the campus of Etihad Stadium. So our partners are City Football Group, which is Man City Football Club, which is which is at the top of the Premier League. Um, And they are our partners. And as you may know, Harry Styles is a minority partner, having grown up in Manchester and having worked at Co-op, you know, which is a, you know, food grocery store in about 2500 locations around the United Kingdom. So that that'll be our first project, very excited and and the hallmark of our new developments are really next generation of arena design. So, you know, Tim obviously is involved with the Staples Center and the Sprint Center in Kansas City and obviously London, Berlin, you know, those designs were almost 20 years ago. You know, we're looking at creating a music focused arenas or music focused with sports tenants. So Manchester is fascinating. Aside from the sustainability uh, initiatives, you know, the roof will be significantly lower than than the current arenas in the United Kingdom. The the upper bowl will be much closer to the action and the stage than many of the arenas in Europe. And, and of course, you know with over 30 bars and restaurants and you know 10 different vip products that that suit different uh seat locations and and diversity of price points it's really a fascinating project and uh, it'll be revolutionary just like when the o2 opened 16 years ago in 2007 that was revolutionary for europe you know with 96 yeah. vip boxes and, and, you know, different different platforms of premium seating, food and beverage, et cetera, and sponsorship, you know, which really, you know, Tim and, and many of the, the current OFU group uh, employees have had work done. So when I say next generation, it, this is perfect. And then, you know, we, we with our partner Live Nation will be breaking ground on the new Cardiff Arena, Cardiff being the capital of Wales. And then. We're building, as you know, from from your conversation with Wesley Cullen, the 20,000 capacity arena in Sao Paulo, which is the fourth largest city in the world, which we're ecstatic about, you know, which changes the entire venue landscape in in South America with, with that building, which will break ground, you know, within the next 10 months or so. And then we have a number of projects we're working on a new arena in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, we are bidding on a uh, arena in Austria and looking at uh, developing new arenas on the Iberian Peninsula, you know, plus also the continent of Africa. We continue to take a look at for a variety of reasons, you know, our partners with Live Nation and obviously the NBA and and, and looking at that market with, with clear eyes and being very excited Certainly, Asia and Australasia are focuses for us, and you'll be hearing shortly our our plans in in, in that those large markets. So w- what's exciting is when you look at next generation of arenas and capital markets, capital major markets, you know, yeah. we, we have a great opportunity to, to develop and operate and and really create a return on investment for our partners that's been meaningful and 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 hitting our targets of being on time and on budget. No small goal, right? <laughs> so. yeah.
1: I can't even imagine how challenging, but also exciting it is to develop in so many different cities and countries. You know, here in the state side, we'll, you know, look at something like building in Georgia versus Seattle is different, or at least within our realm, it's different because, you know, different environments and different uh politics or whatever it is but you know it's that's very different than London to Africa to Australia to Brazil or wherever it may lead you you know is that something that you have always kind of been drawn to is sort of you know working in all these different diverse markets and you know meeting those challenges i mean i'm sure it's really fun because everyone is coming at it from different angles
2: well you know i was very fortunate in the late 90s you know, having worked at Ticketron slash Ticketmaster offices in Boston, New York, Seattle, Chicago, and then London, you know, overseeing the Ticketmaster's expansion in the late 90s and early 2000s globally, uh, and and having looked at many of those markets. Um, and then, you know, for AEG Europe, you know, again, reinforcing, you know, understanding the promoters and the venues and the markets, whether it's in Europe or globally, you know, really gave me a great education. And, you know, I, I'm a very easy traveler and I do like to travel. And, I, you know, I'm fascinated by the different cultures and markets. And, you know, for many of the opportunities we're currently looking at, having live nation offices in, 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 in over 40 international markets gives us a very unique perspective of, the local venues, the local promoters, the price points, the consumer purchasing habits of VIP food and beverage merchandise, et cetera, and allows us to talk with a very interesting voice as being, you know, the most sustainable venue company in the world, and and having built, you know, two billion dollar arenas in Seattle and and. And New York and other arenas, you know, in the two hundred to three hundred million dollar range. So you're able to to go into these markets, uh, understand what the current venues are, and then it, it's a fairly easy assumption of saying, is there is it a market that needs a new arena that doesn't have an existing arena or, or maybe an aging arena, and, sure. and then you know work with our Live Nation partner. And then really understand, you know, how best to accomplish that. Um, it, it, it's look if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Uh, it's clearly mm-hmm. complicated, but to me, it's 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 exciting and complicated. Yeah. And and you know, uh, you know, having worked with Francesca Bodhi's team in the United States, that that really oversees on the business development a lot of the internal processes of. Financing and financial uh, pro forma and projections, marketing, etc. You know, we, we have a, an incredible infrastructure that that supports our, our global ambitions.
0: So, Brian, when you look at you know globally, uh, you know, Paul and I consider ourselves arena nerds, right? We love to go check out a new building and and walk around and see what they do a little differently. But from from country to country, or even continent to continent, in this case, is an arena an arena, an arena, or are there some real local intricacies that things that are different that would, would surprise people?
2: No, you know what? We typically, you know, are, are always looking at, you know, 10 to 20,000 seat arenas. Um, you know, stadiums have a unique component where, you know, either the the sports teams own and or operate, uh, sure. Now, we we just announced a year ago a partnership with Wembley Stadium where we're their strategic international advisor. Um, so, you know, we don't own or operate, but we do provide services for, for Wembley, which, as you know, is the lar- second largest stadium in Europe. But when you ask, you know, is an arena, an arena, an arena, typically it is. And, you know, most markets, most major markets have that. Uh, there are few and far between that you don't have a capital or, or major market that doesn't have that. Now there's different facets. You know, one of my favorite arenas in Europe uh, is the Festhalle in Frankfurt, twelve thousand five hundred capacity, built in nineteen oh nine. Wow! And when I went there the, for the first time, I was I was I, I was really I knew it was going to be an aging decrepit building, but to my shock and surprise, it's it's really got an Art Deco feel, a gorgeous exterior, beautiful creative interior, and mm-hmm. you know it's 114 years old. And you know, think about the history of that. You know, there's not you know aside from the Colosseum in Rome, you know, there's not many there's not many hundred year arenas. Yeah, <laughs> for sure,
0: absolutely. So, you know, when you're doing, you know, getting to do your job, what is, what is a day in the life of Brian like? So are you primarily just based out of London? Do you like about a lot of traveling? Are you just on Zoom meetings all day?
2: So I, I'm fairly unique, whereas I adapt to either the client's timetable or, or, or wherever I'm at. So it's not unusual for me to take, you know, early, early, early morning phone calls Uh, which is fine. Um, It's just, you know, it's part of my day. Um, I travel frequently. I I would say I'm on the road three weeks a month. Uh, I would say I travel a little too frequently. But, you know, the the benefit of the pandemic was being home for, you know, between a year and 18 months. uh, And then you realizing that our business is really, you know, in-person communication. So that's yeah. why the last eighteen months, uh, you know, we've been hustling globally to to interact and reconnect with all those biz dev clients uh, and and opportunities that we've had, and and ultimately, you know, that's that's the beauty of it. So, you know, we're we're pretty nimble as a company, and I would say that's endemic of of my personality of you know traveling and if you know if you look at you know all those markets that i had mentioned i can honestly say i've been to all those continents and many of those major cities but that's what's fascinating about opio group as an entrepreneurial nimble focused company that that sees this opportunity to develop some very interesting next generation of sustainable arenas in wonderful markets around the world?
1: We just did a series for Earth Week on sustainability and and talked with Climate Pledge Arena and their director of sustainability there. And we're kind of talking about how Climate Pledge Arena specifically is really leading that charge on innovation here in the States. And so I think it's interesting that you're now going to have co-op live over in Manchester. And then, you know, as you all are developing more properties, you know, kind of focusing on that. Because I think one of the things we sort of came out of that series with was that really us as an industry can have a really big impact. You know, it's not just us impacting the building itself. It's you know, how many stadiums and arenas and theaters, you know, are out there and how much waste are they producing or how much energy are they using? And so I love that there's this focus on, you know, not only what you've done here in the States with Climate Pledge Arena, but then replicating some of that and continuing to push that forward with other properties as they develop, because that might, I'm sure, like you said, Co-op Live is going to be the most Sustainable and you know really revolutionize things there, but you know if as you develop other properties, it will probably meet those same marks elsewhere. You
2: know, Paul, when we announced Climate Pledge Arena, you know in uh, in two thousand nineteen slash two thousand and twenty, and we said it was going to be you know the the zero carbon neutral arena in the world. You know, we were at the hallmark the advent. Uh, and the voice of the industry. And, you know, the fact that Oakview Group has four important pillars, sustainability being one of them, and diversity of employment, and security, and sanitization, you know, makes me so proud to work for the company because, you know, Tim, who's passionate about sustainability, you know, realizes that, with global warming and all these weather-related crises, that if we don't do something as an industry, an industry that has given back so much to us as professionals, as profans, as as sports teams, as music artists, that we're going to be in in real trouble. So, you know, for me, you know, having kids and grandkids, you know, I, I, I take this to heart and at this stage of my career to be able to fly that flag and talk to partners and governmental officials about what we've done as a company to influence an industry has been really overwhelming for us. And and it opens a lot of doors and it really, really shows the integrity of the company and the commitment. Um to make climate pledge sustainable, you know with the, with those initiatives, you know, cost us, you know us a great deal of money than if we had built it without those in mind. So you you got to give our partners with uh, Seattle Kraken, who are now in the second round of the NHL playoffs. That's right. And, and Oakview group, um, a lot of credit for investing and taking that big leap of faith.
0: Brian, you know, when you look at, you know, whether it's, a, you know, arenas that you love or arenas that you're developing and you're trying to make an arena a great experience, what what makes an arena great?
2: You know what? At the heart of it, I'm a fan. I see, I, I you know, when I was younger, I used to see a hundred events a year, year in and year out. I, I probably see 50 events a year now. Um, you know, the beauty of my job is I'm in different markets and different buildings. So, you know, I, I can't help to think that you sit in an arena and the first 10 rows of those fans, um, now I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a music event, they're totally absorbed. Now, if you're beyond the 10 rows, you know, you're either looking at the band from afar, or you're looking at the two screens on either side, the video screens or LED screens or the production. And it's a different experience. So, you know, going back to co-op live, I think to create a big arena, you know, 20,000 capacity arena with a lower roof and seating closer to the performance space definitely creates a better acoustic environment a better visual environment to be able to feel the energy you know how many times you know paul and dave have we sat in an arena or a stadium you know watching music or watching sports and seeing the difference between being close to the action and being far away and it's just different um and Mm -hmm. when you design a building then you have the opportunity to squeeze, to be creative, and to create that in- intimacy—you know—from the the deafening roar of a crowd for a sporting event to the acoustic uh, a perfection of great sound in a in an arena—and I always think, how do you make that experience better? So you've got the fan experience, you've got the corporate experience. Obviously, the corporate experience is different because you're hopefully providing great food, great beverage comfortable seating in a hospitality box, a networking area, and great service, obviously. Uh, and, And hopefully that permeates to the general public as well. So, you know, to answer your question, the intimacy of the bowl, of the seating bowl, is important, because ultimately, how do you create that experience from the last row to the front row? And you you can do that. You know, you need creative architects and designers. And like I said, you know, moving the fans closer and having the roof lower and having great acoustics is really fundamental of our business.
0: So taking you back a few years, you're a college kid uh, in Connecticut, right? Fairfield University what did you know you wanted to get into this live entertainment industry
2: um you know again i i, I you know i saw all, you know hundreds of shows a year and by happenstance i one of the people i went to college with her father was the president of ticketron the innovator yep. of computerized ticketing in the united states and so um i had the chance to write an article and and Actually, do an interview with Mr. Schmidt, the president of Ticketron, who was based in New York City. And you know, at the end, at the late '70s, you know, a lot of my my college uh, friends were, you know, there wasn't a big job market out there. But I was fortunate to, you know, write the article in the school newspaper. And you know, five days after I graduated, I went to work for Ticketron for eight years, and that migrated into Ticketmaster for fifteen years. And so, did I have the foresight? I certainly had the passion. And, and, and I would say that I was lucky enough to take advantage of that moment in time of, of meeting with the president and and being nimble and, and had the ability to move around the world, you know, working for you know ticketmaster, you know, great ticketing company and, uh, and learning the business. It's funny
0: because so many of us have been caught, con- you know, contacted by that college reporter who wants to put together an article and, you know, some of them are pretty skilled and some of them aren't, <laughs> but it all, it all, it all kind of start, you know, that one moment is what, what led to a, a many, many years in the ticketing industry. Is there, is there anything you miss from working on the ticketing side of things?
2: Oh, I, I can tell you what I don't miss. <laughs> <Yeah, believe laughs> <you. laughs> There's probably a long list, you know, for... For over twenty years, you know, people would just call and ask for tickets, and you know, it 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 wears on you. Um, But so that's what I don't miss. The funny part is, you know, in today's day and age, uh, in the old days there was never a ticket. You know, if you had a sold out sporting event or concert, you had to call the promoter, you had to call the box office or the venue manager. That was it. You'd have to ask for a favor, and you know, it wasn't texting. I mean, you'd have to call, and you know, it just. It's just tough, um, you know. Today, with dynamic pricing, you know, it. It look you got the Warriors playing the the Lakers. You probably bet there's a plethora of tickets available, but the prices are just. <laughs> <dynamic>. oh, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> um, so so when people call me for tickets now, I just say, look, you know what? Go online. You know, look at the, you know Springsteen at the guard, You know, played Madison Square Garden. One Madison Square Garden, right? So, you know, and there was plenty of tickets available at a variety of, of prices, but still there was availability to the public if they wanted to, to pony up that money. So, so that that's what I don't miss. Um, yeah, I would say I'll, I'll leave it at that.
0: So you go, you know, talk about the, making that transition then from working for Ticketmaster, to
2: what uh, being with uh, SMG in Philly. So. You know, again, I you know because I worked at Ticketmaster US and internationally, I you know I knew the promoters and I knew the buildings, and you know what SMG was looking for, you know in two thousand and four was a senior executive that that had that experience. So, you know, for me, it it was a fairly easy role to step into, and you know it instead of pitching ticketing system, you know, I, I basically pitched the the depth and breadth of resources that at the time SMG had and, you know, was successful at, at doing that until, you know, Tim started up AEG facilities. And then I transitioned over to that and 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 subsequently back to London.
0: With that move to London, what, what was that like? Is that, a, I mean, because I think a lot of people wonder, like, could I pick up and, and leave the States? and move internationally. So you mentioned, you know, home, you know, what, what is home for you and what was it like to then take that career and go from the United States to, you know, living in London full-time?
2: Well, you know, when I did it with Ticketmaster in, you know, 99, 2000, 2001, a, I had a very supportive wife. So, you know, you know, happy wife, happy life. So, (laughs) you know, she was, you know, she allowed me to follow my passion and, you know, it was a dream of mine, you know, as I sat in all those Ticketmaster meetings and they talked about expanding into Ireland and and England and Australia. You know, I, I really I, I dreamed and I, you know, I, I let my boss know that I'd be interested in that experience. And, you know, I was sort of in the right place at the right time. So, you know, London is one of the world's great, great, great cities. Um, I've been here for over 20 years. It's just you know, it's remarkable. And I'm, I'm passionate about I'm passionate about London, but, you know, equally as passionate about, you know, Milan, Paris, Lisbon, et cetera. And so for me, you know, that having that flexibility, uh, I would say my kids were probably slightly resentful that that mom and dad <laughs> you know, were moving overseas. But, you know, they were at the, the stage of their lives that they were, you know, in college and, you know, they were on on their path as well. Um, interestingly enough, you know, today my my wife lives in Philadelphia. She she's ardent for she, she's passionate about American politics. I won't tell you which which side, but I can only tell you that it's the good side. Um <laughs> and, and and so um every four years she'd move back to Philly and you know, Pennsylvania being a, you know one of the five swing states uh would work on the election. So she lives in Philadelphia. You know, I have a flat here in London. So I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm back and forth. But as I mentioned that, I, you know, I travel frequently, uh, you know, on a weekly and monthly basis. You guys are like the live aid of couples. <laughs> if I can talk about a London and Philly event. <laughs> that, that, good point. 1985. Absolutely. Um, so, it, you know, what? that's, you know, it's a, you know, it's a dream of mine. It, it, the dream continues to be able to work in these fabulous cities with fabulous cultures. And, and you know what, Paul and Dave, you know, how has our business changed? k-pop j-pop latin music Absolutely. sports yeah. you know when you when you talk about you know new arenas in singapore tokyo or sao paulo you know you know think about the touring routes and the new arenas so you know you could go from prague to vienna to istanbul to abu dhabi to riyadh to singapore you know etc so a the the touring routes have changed and You know, the kids have access to more, more music than ever before, playing more music than ever before. And the genres transcend from Japanese to Korean to Latin, et cetera. I mean, how great is that?
1: Yeah, it definitely feels more global in that it's not just certain countries that are listening to whatever their pop stars are. It's like you have these huge audiences here in the states as well as a lot of, you know, performers here that have these massive audiences globally, but you're you're exactly right. I mean, it's it seems like the advent of having access to any genre or any artist you want has really kind of spread the love everywhere.
2: And you know what's fascinating? if you look at the 60s with rock and roll, you know, or the 70s with disco or or hip hop and rap and country, and, and you realize that, you know, they're sort of generational or decade changes in music with electronic dance music, you know, et cetera. And you realize that these kids have been locked in their rooms during the pandemic for nearly two, two years listening to music, playing music. So, you know, in mm-hmm. the next five years, you know, God only knows what new genres of music will come out of those bedrooms and those minds of those teenage kids that are developing and exploring and listening. And And that's what's so exciting about our business. Um, so, you know what, I'm, I'm amazed and I'm thrilled. And, you know, when people ask about, you know emerging markets like Sao Paulo or the Middle East you're thinking you know you know there's 420 million arabic speakers in 22 countries you know so you know just from that you know you think all all of all, you know there's a probably a new generation or emerging generation of arabic entertainment that is probably currently you know in in, in those those defined markets and probably expanding worldwide you know, given the demographics uh, of of the changing population bases in in you know all the countries around the world.
0: You know, there in London, you've got a lot of great live music too. And and one of the I have to ask about this. I see there's a a, a framed Prince photo behind you, uh, and I know that you have a a fun story about the legendary Prince.
2: You know what? There are geniuses in the Music business that that we all appreciate, and we all have our favorites. But you know, the story I'm about to, to say is really endemic of of what a genius is. So, in 2007, Prince released three albums in in, in one day, and I think he did a, a sponsorship with Target, and he decided to play three shows in Los Angeles at LA Live, and And I was fortunate with my wife to to be there. I was working for AG at the time. And the first show was at 7 o'clock in the then Nokia Theater, 7,100 seats. And, you know, he played an hour and a half set. You know, the next show was at 10 o'clock at the Congo Room, 700 capacity, you know, ballroom. And then he moved then to the one o'clock show at Club Nokia, 2200 capacity, you know, music club. And what's startling and amazing and shows the true genius is he played with three different bands and three complete different sets, never repeating a single song. Now, think about that. You know, he had the stamina from seven o'clock to 10 o'clock to 1 a.m., you know, playing three different shows with three different bands with three different set lifts and You know how many people do that? Nobody. Yeah, nobody. Um, And you know, it it just shows you the genius and the passion of the artist. And you know, it it it, it's very sad to to realize that he's left us, but nonetheless, better to have had and lost than never to have had it all. And you know, Dave, you know, Prince, you know, the you know one of a kind. But back to what I previously said is, I'm sure he's inspiring. New generations of music fans to play and record and tour. So we're excited to see what that what that uh, springs up. Absolutely, for
0: sure. Hey, we're uh, getting ready to wrap things up. But before we do, I, I wanted to talk about you know something that you're involved with uh, that I, I'd like to know a little bit more about. The it was the the Black Ensemble Touring Company.
2: Yes. Yeah, so you know when I was transitioning between between Ticketmaster you know over 20 years in the ticketing business and and working for SMG AEG and Oakview group we had moved back to chicago and i fell in love with this with this musical theater company called the black ensemble theater the founder and creator jackie taylor had her own theater on the on the north side of chicago and had produced a plethora of musical biographies, you know, the Jackie Wilson story, the Howlin Wolf story, the Muddy Water story, the Teddy Pendergrass story. And I I fell in love. You know, I fell in love with the content and the genre. You know, again, you know, being a fan. And so, you know, when I was, you know, transitioning from one industry to another, I I had, you know, I had a a, a year off. And so I said to her, look, you know, why don't we create a U.S. touring company taking your music content and bring it to the Apollo Theater, you know, in New York and, you know, bring it to the theaters in Baltimore and Washington and Memphis and Detroit. And so it was it was a a labor of love for me. You know, I was entrepreneurial uh, and, you know, we created this joint venture. And, you know, we took a number of productions around the U.S., but I think what I'm most proud of is, you know, Jackie Wilson, who you guys may know, you know, before Prince and before Michael Jackson, you know, Jackie Wilson was a superstar, you know, rhythm and blues artist with a high falsetto um, and just, you know, a genius. And so, you know, we, we took that for a month to the world-famous Apollo Theater, the heart of Harlem, the heart of Black America. And it was just, you know, it was wonderful for me. And my wife was very supportive. And, you know, we had a great cast and a great musical score and incredible lead, Chester Gregory. So it, it was a moment in time for me. And then when that ran its course, I, I, I jumped into the venue business with SMG. And, you know, it's been almost 20 years doing that as well. So, you know, I, you know, things all work out. Um, and and I'm happy to say that the Black Ensemble Theater, you know, moved to a new theater on the on the north side of Chicago that the city helped fund with a number of private donations. And that is going strong. And um, it's been it's there awesome. for, you know, that company has been around for 40 years producing, you know, great musical content.
1: It seems like such a fun way to follow something that you've. Found a love and a passion for which kind of is really what we've been discussing this whole time right is you know finding things that bring you joy that really check those boxes for you as a fan and then how can you help spread that to other people for them to enjoy it too you know i think that's kind of the the microcosm of live events where it's you know whenever we fall in love with it so much of us that are passionate about it, it's just all about we see what's special about it and how can we bring that same joy, that same passion to more people internationally, even within the city, you know, every single person, like, you know, I think we're maybe uniquely able to see what hogs are in that machine. And then I think it allows us to really you know, broadcast. It's so right I just, I, I don't know. I love that you, uh, you know, leaned into it whenever you fell in love with it and really thought about how can you help elevate it and expose it to more people.
2: I, I You know what, Paul? I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, there's nothing like a live experience, you know, celebrating with 20,000 people or 50,000 people. You know, it's it, it's just it, it's wonderful to be able to do that. And, you know, we survived the pandemic where we didn't have that camaraderie. And and it's even more special now that the pandemic's over touch wood and we're able to, to experience the joy of a sporting event or a music event or a family event, a comedy event, etc.
0: Brian, before we let you go, I want to hit you with our fast five. It's five quick questions. Just looking for your your instant brief response. First up, do you remember your very first concert?
2: Yeah, it was uh, the Bushnell uh, Auditorium, Bushnell Theater in Hartford, Connecticut, Lagans Messina and Cheech and Chong. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they weren't a very good, Cheech and Chong wasn't a very good musical group.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what a great <laughs> double bill though. <laughs> How about, do you, do you have one concert? Do you have a favorite concert, right? One that really stands out to you above the rest?
2: You know what? Um, I, I've been given that a lot of thought. Uh, there isn't one. I, I would say that there's three musical artists that I've seen well over a hundred times, uh, different genres, different generations that that I love. Um, and I, I I still pretty much have a chance to see them these days. So that's that. I, I, I'll leave it at that.
0: You don't want, you don't want to name the three?
2: Yeah. You know, uh, um, Van Morrison. Who, I, who, being oh, wow, in London, yeah. I, I had great deal of access to uh, NRBQ, a band that that yeah. grew up near uh, near where I was from, Connecticut in, in New England, and obviously Dead and Company slash The Grateful Dead uh, during my 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 fun my fun college and and <laughs> early professional days.
0: Uh, what's your favorite thing to do on a day off?
2: Um, you, you know what? I, I'm a runner, and. I, I always find a race no matter where I travel, and I, I, I when I jog, I jog slow. But when I competitively race, I just feel like I accomplish something. So um, yeah, you know, and I, yesterday I ran a ten k race in London in Regent's Park, and you know I I I do have a great deal of accomplishment.
0: What one food do you miss from America? So you get back to the States. Is there one place that you have to go that you
2: just crave? You know what? You you can't be uh, going to Reading Terminal in Philadelphia and ordering a hot pastrami uh, Reuben. (laughs) Um, It is uh, it is spectacular. (laughs) Herschel's Deli. Uh,
0: Last question for you. Uh, What is your theme song? Uh, So you have your own reality TV show where cameras follow you all around the the life of Brian, if you will. Uh, What's the song that plays over the opening credits?
2: I would say, Do You Believe in Magic by The Love and Spoonful. Spoonful. Yeah. There's a line that says, I've got the magic in the music and the music in me. So uh, I'm I'm surprised I remember that, but uh, I think that just about (laughs) says it all.
0: Uh, Brian, anything you want to plug? Uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way for them to connect, et cetera?
2: You know, be kabatsnick at oakviewgroup.com. You know, I, I tend to respond to a lot of my, a lot of email inquiries, but no, I, I, you know, Paul, Dave, I want to thank you for the, for allowing me to, to share my passion. And sure. just as I had that opportunity as a 22 year old, college graduate, you know, working at Ticketron. I, I try not to turn down people, you know, asking and inquiring. And, you know, as long as they they have got the passion as well, you know, I, I have the ability to, to move all around the world. So, you know what, you know, follow your passion. You know, there, you know, we have choices in life and, you know, being engaged and learning every day is has been wonderful for what I've been doing personally and professionally. And I would encourage that from your listeners to do the same
0: love it it's been a real pleasure talking with you today and, and appreciate making the time in, the, in your busy schedule
2: all right well thank you so much uh good luck with the conference coming up
0: thank you so much you and a big thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of adventures in Venuland. land remember you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts we do appreciate your five-star reviews it helps other people find us until the next adventure i'm dave rattleberger and i'm paul hooper thanks for listening everyone
1: Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com.
0: Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner, design and digital
2: advertising by Megan Ebeck, copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker.
1: Guest Booking and Brand Strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest Research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing Strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next
0: adventure.